What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fitness Oracle. Uh, today we have a very special guest uh, that came on. It's another Ayurvedic doctor. Uh, it's quite interesting that I've had two back to back. Just sometimes that's how life is, you know. But today we sat down with Victor Briere, who is an Ayurvedic doctor. Uh, he's the co-founder of the International Institute of Ayurveda in California, and he specializes in pulse reading and so much more when it comes to, you know, finding the root cause of illness and restoring the body to full health. Now, this is such a great, huge topic, but we drilled it down into five major categories and topics. Um, we talked about, you know, what the differences of Ayurveda com compared to everything else. Uh, that's out there, especially with modern medicine. Uh, why is it so challenging to heal people? And this is something that I've bashed my head with so many times. And he, he gives a great, great explanation why. Um, the unknown causes of diseases. Um, the timeline for healing, which can vary with certain people. And again, he talks a lot about this and you know, all the, it, it, it was really good. Uh, and the autonomic nervous system, which um, we get a little geeky on this. I'm not too much woo woo, more geek, I'm more on the geeky side. So if you get lost by that part, just hold on there because the end of the show is even just, just as good. So I had a great time with Victor. Uh, our time was limited so I wish I could add another hour with him because I could we could have easily dived deeper into so many different topics. Uh, who knows? Maybe he might come on. Most likely he will. So, Victor, if you're listening to this, maybe he might come on so we can continue this discussion because it was an amazing it was an amazing hour. Um, so with that, uh, I do want to remind you guys that uh, signing I just want to uh, Signing up for the 12 week uh, fat sizzler is still open. And I just want to ask you guys a quick question out there. If you guys are still okay uh, with the yo yo effects of diets, which quite frankly don't work, uh, we've created a foolproof 12 week system that will not only help you shed the weight that you've gained over COVID, but also give you a blueprint that will help you move into a slimmer looking you. The best part of this is that we focus so heavily on the mindset aspect of your transformation, which will enable you to love your body that you're about to get. So what do you get with a 12 week fat sizzler? You get a 12 week, 12 week workout guide, a proven nutritional guideline, the full master key system, which is an amazing 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 mindset tool that i just got into uh one-on-one -on -one support with me that's just three calls in the week for the next 12 weeks a community of others that are there to support you and cheer you on and so much more so i don't want don't wait any longer and stop making excuses take control of the one thing that you can control you so click the link in the show notes and let's have a talk. I hope you enjoy this show. 
And again, don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you enjoy what we're doing here with the Fitness Oracle. Hit the bell to be notified when we come out with another episode. And make sure that if you do know anybody that is suffering from any form of mental health uh, disorders, when it, especially when it comes to depression, and you think that they're about to do something that's undoable, please share it with them as this may be able to help them get through whatever they're going through. Uh, the trigger was actually a personal health concern. Uh, it wasn't too dramatic, knock on wood, but it was personal in nature. And I grew up in Los Angeles, um, very normal background for all intents and purposes. And uh, I had a normal idea around health. So at that time, it was, you know, you hope you don't get sick. And if you do, you go to a doctor and they give you a pill or something or a cream and hopefully you get better. And that was the extent of it. Um, anyone serious about going on a healing path is going to need to develop some kind of daily ritual that they engage in that maintains that for them. Oh, it was very popular for a long period of time that, oh, you know, I have these genetics and these genetics are what making me sick. Or I eat, I take the wrong supplements or I take the wrong food or whatever. And there's truth, there's truth to all that. Absolutely. But we forget about the one thing that's the most important thing in healing which is who am I in relationship to these things? You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's my genetics. It's my genetics. It's my genetics. But there are other things that we take on from our parents and grandparents and ancestry, and that's their habits. Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people, just like you, with real stories, just like yours. And this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Victor Briere from the International Institute of Ayurveda. Victor Briere is an Ayurvedic doctor, the co-founder of the International Institute of Ayurveda, he is a gifted pulse reader specializing in Ayurvedic diagnostic techniques and health counseling. His in-depth individualized approach to health offers clients and students a detailed and encompassed perspective on the underlying causes of imbalance. Victor's approach to wellness emphasizes the role and importance of lifestyle and dietary balance. He offers the support often needed to successfully address the root cause of illness and restore the body to health. Victor, welcome to the show. Thanks for hosting me, John. Uh, so how's Cali? And you know you're out there. I know you guys have been uh, hit quite hard with the fires lately. Have you guys been? Have you been affected by it? Um, I'm in about three hours north of San Francisco, and fortunately for us right now, it's beautiful. But fire season's not for another month or two around here so i'm sure we'll get some kind of fires around our area well i hope it doesn't affect you too much because i've seen what's going on it looks crazy yeah i'm more concerned about the uh, 116 degrees in west canada that's a little bit more scary to me yeah, yeah. me personally i like the heat the hotter the better yeah but not not in west canada <laughs> not in west canada that's, yeah that's not a good sign no um yeah. so let's 
dig into what we're going to be talking today about. And it's going to be about like a lot of um, like, you know, your path, your journey into Ayurveda, what it is uh, and all that stuff. So what was the trigger for you to start exploring Ayurvedic medicine? Uh, the trigger was actually a personal health concern. Uh, it wasn't too dramatic, knock on wood, but it was personal in nature. And I grew up in Los Angeles, um, very normal background for all intents and purposes. And uh, I had a normal idea around health. So at that time, it was, you know, you hope you don't get sick. And if you do, you go to a doctor and they give you a pill or something or a cream and hopefully you get better. And that was the extent of it. Um, I had a back issue that was nagging at me that um, I went to my doctor and they sent me to another doctor and got an MRI, sent me to another doctor, got an x-ray, so on and so forth. We've all been on that circuit before. And basically, eventually, over a two-year period, one of the doctors said, you know, I'm sorry, but either you're going to have to take painkillers or you're going to need surgery. Um because we don't really know what this is and, you know, you're not a life-threatening emergency. So, you know, there's not too much we can do. And I was not willing to have surgery and I was not willing to take painkillers at the age of 19 years old. So I decided that I, I kind of went into the abyss a little bit because I didn't know anything about Ayurveda or yoga or anything, traditional Chinese medicine, nothing. Um, so I didn't know what I was going to do, but I did find a yoga studio and decided to give it a try and liked it. And so I scheduled a private session with the instructor and she did her thing and basically said, all right, try these three postures or asanas. And within two weeks, I had zero back pain and it never came back. So that, that threw the doors open for me and said, okay, there's a whole other way of looking at all this besides the you know, traditional Western healthcare system. Um, and that inspired me to go traveling, uh, practice more yoga, and eventually yoga led me to Ayurveda. Sweet. Um, you actually said, um, answered one of the questions that for, I asked my guests these questions before they come on. So uh, you actually said something that you spend like two and a half hours before, after you wake up doing sadhana, what is sadhana? Sadhana, yeah. sadhana sorry, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, sadhana, sadhana basically is a regular daily spiritual practice. So, and when I say spiritual, it means um, it, at least in the yogic tradition, it's going to try and cover your body, mind, and connection with your soul. Um, or identity as a soul, as opposed to a, just a body or personality. And so it's a series of practices that helps remind you of that and, and manifest that every day. Um, and they're, you know, sadhana is the Sanskrit word, but um, most spiritual traditions have some form of that in some shape or size. And okay. so, yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's essential for health. Um, anyone serious about going on a healing path is going to need to develop some kind of daily ritual that they engage in that maintains that for them. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like it has to, like, I mean, and it doesn't have to be like spiritual, like people like, you know, going to a gym could become somebody's ritual, 
you know, taking proper supplementations could be some somebody's ritual, right? Well, going to a gym, certainly, as long as it's done in the right spirit, um, I would say taking supplements probably not going to count as a sadhana. Yeah, sadhana is a little bit going to be a little bit more um, active than that. It's not, you know, taking a supplement is basically just putting something in your mouth and swallowing. Um, a sadhana is supposed to engage you as a being in your own development, not just rely on something outside of you to try and make changes in your body. So something like uh, morning prayers or morning affirmations. Yeah, that's, that's getting closer. So like a traditional yogic sadhana is going to incorporate asana, which is postures. That's the form of yoga we're familiar with in the West. Um, but yoga goes far beyond that. So there's postures and then there's some kind of breath exercise and then there's mantra chanting, the use of sound and then meditation. That would be a full complete sadhana. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it kind of does that whole mind body connection kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. And that's vital. Excuse me. And you have a very interesting program that's surrounded with a mind body connection uh, the mind body connection via the vagus vag vag I can never pronounce this word <laughs> vagus nerve vagus nerve yeah. vagus see yeah I know just think Las Vegas <laughs> yeah. okay Las Viva Las Vegas <laughs> yeah um, I know what the vagus nerve does because I have studied the body like inside and out for the past four years maybe five years now for those of the listeners out there. Um, I'd like to get your input on the vagus nerve and how, what that whole mind-body connection is of that it's a very important nerve. Well, that's a massively huge topic, but um, we can start just kind of with the vagus nerve in a nutshell. Um, okay, so the vagus nerve is the longest nerve. It's actually a nerve bundle, the longest nerve bundle in our body. And it attaches to the brainstem. And then it travels from the brainstem to all the sense organs, to the voice box, to all the vital organs below the neck. So heart, lungs, liver, spleen, stomach, on and on and on and on. And from an Ayurvedic perspective, that's really profound because the sense organs are what communicate with the mind. Um, and the the vagus nerves attached literally to the sense organs. So you have this inextricable connection or this completely just clear path from the mind straight to the entire body and its function. So that gives you a just hardwired link from every thought, every emotion, every attitude, every mood straight to your physiology um, without skipping a beat like without any translator or ambassador in between or anything like that. So that's why, and we observe it all the time in ourselves. If you get angry, your entire physiology changes. You get sad, your entire physiology changes on and on and on and on. So the vagus nerve is the, the uh, cable that links our mind to our body. And it's, it's part of a much bigger nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. Um, and we could talk more about that, of course, but that's the vagus nerve in a nutshell. Uh, we will talk about the autonomic uh, nervous system in a little bit. And uh, you're right about um, people's uh, 
you can tell how somebody is feeling just by looking at them because a big part of my martial art was trying to identify the the threat by the by the person's physical appearance so it's kind of interesting that you you attach that with a you know the nervous system because it really it's really cool yeah yeah it is and it is a is a massively growing topic in um, modern health but the it's been around the knowledge of it and wisdom of how to affect it and how to use it for healing has been around for many thousands of years yeah and speaking of thousands of years i know that are are you this is another word that i have trouble pronouncing are you feta yeah has been around for like 5,000 years, this, this, uh, this medicine, this, this form of med- medicine. Um, how does Ayurveda differ from other modalities like traditional Chinese medicine to even modern medicine? Well, traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda grew up with the same roots um, and they share a lot of the same philosophies. And of course, you know, China is a different region, um, and so the plant life is going to be different. And these types of medicines are heavily reliant on the uh, flora and fauna of the region. Um, so there are differences there, and of course there are some different nuances and concepts. But by and large, the ideology of traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine are the same. Um, they both are based on the five elements, even though Chinese medicine uses different elements or names and kind of cuts up the pieces a little bit differently, but the idea is the same. They're both holistic, um, so on and so forth. The big difference is between those modalities and Western medicine. Western medicine took a big turn and has a very different approach. Um, It's not really preventative at all, at least practiced the way it is these days. And it's pretty much symptom management, which is great if you have an extreme symptom that you need managed immediately. But if you're looking for deep healing on all layers, then Western medicine just isn't designed to really do that. And that kind of brings me to the next point, which is like, we do live in a world where we want it quicker and faster. And modern medicine provides that. So how does something like Ayurveda fit in with all this? Well, Modern medicine provides, I would say, in some cases, it provides that quick, fast relief, but at a big cost. Um, And the big cost is a lot of times long run, it creates more problems. And I'm not trying to blame Western medicine. I think it's trying to meet a demand of the population. Um, The population, it's, it's a lot more difficult to heal holistically, not because it's less effective, but because it takes more work on the self and willingness to change habits and things like that. And it's much more appealing, especially when you got to go to work and you got to do this and you got to do that to say, oh, I've got this problem. Let me just take a pill and hopefully it goes away until the next problem pops up. And hopefully there will be a pill around for that. The problem is eventually you run into a problem that there is no pill for. And then you got a real issue on your hands. And that's when it's not so fast and not so easy anymore. Um, so I discourage people from thinking about Western medicine as faster and easier. It's just a different uh, ideology. Because I like that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
your, I was on your website earlier today and I came, came across this one video. Uh, just briefly, you called, uh, you, the video was called, why is Ayurveda called energy medicine? And I absolutely loved it. I would like a little bit for you to go into that video because I thought it was great. Really caught oh, my okay. attention. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's this, um, there are these words that fly around in the, in the modern spiritual healing worlds and all that stuff that um, it can get dicey, right? Because these vague terms are used and, you know, half the people are like, Ooh, that sounds cool. And the other half of the people are rolling their eyes and like, Oh my God, this isn't going to work. Right. Where's the science. Um, and so what, what, it, what does it mean when you call Ayurveda energy medicine? It is not like Reiki where it's like, okay, I put my hands over you and there's supposed to be some kind of effect and then you're healed or, you know, you are helped in healing. So that's not what I mean by energy. And that's not what Ayurveda means by energy. What Ayurveda means by energy is that you're working with qualities. So the idea behind Ayurveda is that everything in nature, including your body, because let's not forget that our body is completely created by nature. Um, our parents didn't really create our body. They just had the conditions that allowed for the creation of our body our body is formed by the force of nature itself. And, and within this big natural world, we have all these qualities. Ayurveda reduces those qualities, the thousands of qualities available to 20 basic fundamental qualities. So that's like light, heavy, hot, cold, cloudy, clear, subtle, gross, so on and so forth. And those qualities have an effect on the world around it. So like, for example, if I apply heat, then things change around the heat. The rest of the, the, the nature surrounding the heat or within the heat adapts to that heat or changes form or function or something like that. So, and of course, there's a physical background to that. There's a physics to that, of course. But when, when an Ayurvedic doctor or practitioner sits down in front of a, uh, someone coming in for health and they say, okay, what are you experiencing? And the person starts describing their problem. The Ayurvedic doctor is translating that back into basic qualities. Because if I can identify the basic qualities that are out of balance, then I can affect those basic qualities by using the opposite qualities in nature. So if someone's running hot, I can use cold to reduce the hot. That's obviously way oversimplistic, but that's a very, very, very basic idea. Or, and then oftentimes it's a group of qualities that are out of balance. So you need to find the opposite group in the right proportion at the right time, in the right place, applied to the right area of the body in the right, with the right vehicle to affect that grouping of qualities. Then that changes the situation inside the body and the body then moves to adapt to that new situation. And we call that healing or finding an equilibrium. So in that way, Ayurveda is energetic based as opposed to um, looking at chemical structures or something like that. So nothing to do with a woo-woo behind it. There's no woo-woo. Ayurveda <laughs> is a pretty hardcore science if you look deeply into it. Cool. Yeah. Um, so why is it so hard like to 
to to help somebody heal because as a personal trainer and i have studied traditional chinese medicine in the past it is challenging very yeah extremely challenging because we get in our own way um because you know healing well first i think the, a good answer to that question is why are we sick and people you know it was very popular for a long period of time that oh you know i have these genetics and these genetics are what making me sick or i eat i take the wrong supplements or i take the wrong food or whatever and there's truth there's truth to all that absolutely but we forget about the one thing that's the most important thing in healing which is who am i in relationship to these things who am i in relationship to my food what's my body doing in relationship to what i eat what's my body doing in relationship to these uh, supplements what's my body doing in relationship to its own genetics because now there are all these studies that genetics aren't as static as was once thought and they're epigenetic and they change all the time and they're activated or deactivated depending on our external circumstances. So all that stuff is not the fundamental cause of our illness. It might be contributing factors, but not the fundamental cause. The fundamental cause of our illness, Ayurveda describes as basically three things. One is misuse of our sense organs sets us up for disease. Two is time, allowing imbalances to go on for long periods of time. So, you know, let's take, for example, someone who smokes cigarettes. Uh, smoke cigarette, hey, dude, that's bad for you. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm okay. Two years later, hey, man, seriously, it's really bad for you. You should stop doing that. Yeah, but, you know, my dad lived till he was 92 and he never had any problems. Five years later, oh, I just got diagnosed with lung cancer. It's a common story among smokers. So that's allowing time to go by and not resolving the issue. And then um, the third is actually what's called crime against wisdom. And that is knowing something's good for you, but then not doing it, disregarding it. And that's kind of a weird one. People don't get it. It's like, how does that make me sick? You know, wouldn't that boil down to the food I eat or something like that? But actually, it sets up something else because it starts to sever your relationship with your inner knowing or intuition or soul. And then that causes a autonomic nervous system cascade and leaves you very susceptible to stress, um, self-doubt, self-criticism, all these things, your self-confidence drops. And these things have a big physiological impact. That's where we started with the vagus nerve, right? The mind body are linked. So if your mind is not, um, is not having a good communication with your body, that in and of itself starts making you sick, throwing you out of balance, upsetting your digestion, upsetting your heart rate, upsetting your breath rate, all that. And misuse of the senses going back to that one is like, you know, staring at a screen for nine hours a day. That's overuse of the eyes in an improper way that runs through your nervous system, starts affecting your physiology and things don't go so well. So the reason that um, it's so hard for people to change those habits is because we get ourselves into positions where we become reliant on those habits to survive, or at least we think we need them to survive. So if I get an office job and I need to work on a computer eight hours a day, 
and I got a family to feed, I'm not just going to stop going to that job and working on a computer, even if it's making me sick. I'll say, oh, isn't there something I can do with my food? Or isn't there a pill I could take? Or aren't there special eye drops I could put in? Right? That's what we're going to say. We're not going to say, you know what? I need to get a new job. That doesn't require me to basically burn out my eyes, which again, has an effect on my entire nervous system. And that's just a simple example. Our lives are very complex. So that's a big knot. That's a big mess. And, and people have all these attachments and their emotional attachments and their deep attachments to relationships and families and things like that. It's not so simple to unwind those and just say, oh, yeah, 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 quit your job and, and uh, don't look at a computer ever again, you know, because your eyes are starting to get macular degeneration and you're going to go blind in 20 years if you don't stop. Well, just like the smoker, the person might just keep looking at a computer screen. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why it's hard. <laughs> yeah. And um, especially with what we've been living through for the past, what, 18 months now, you know, consistently having bad news throw at us time in, time again. How could someone just like, just not phase out of that, just phase out? Well, we do. And, you know, we have to, because otherwise the stress gets us. Um, so I'm not even saying that these adaptations are bad. Um, we just have to do our best to create, and it is a creation. It doesn't just fall into our lap. Create and cultivate a lifestyle that does the best we can, because it's never going to be perfect. But someone who sits down and consciously tries to create a healthy lifestyle typically goes a lot further than someone who just is throwing themselves to the wind and hope that their body holds up. Yeah. Um, you said something about genetics and uh, kind of like triggered, well, not triggered, but in a good way you know, up in my head. Um, like me personally, I have a history, my, my, my grandparents of like high blood pressure, diabetes and this and that. And I keep hearing people say, oh, it's genetic. You're going to get it. I'm like, I can find you studies that every seven years, your genes change. Yeah. Most of them, not all of them. There are some genes that don't, so that we know of, right? <laughs> yeah. Cause it changes every few years, the studies that come out and stuff like that. So what you read today will not be the same five years from now. Um, so here's what Ayurveda says about that. You know, a lot of people say, Oh, it's my genetics. It's my genetics. It's my genetics. But there are other things that we take on from our parents and grandparents and ancestry, and that's their habits. So if I grow up in an Italian household and we're eating spaghetti and meatballs every night, or, you know, that's a little bit cliche, but I'm just making a point here. Right. So I eat Italian, Italian food every night and I come to love it because it's around the table and there's family and there's love and there's laughter and everyone's happy. Right. So I form an emotional attachment to that food. Now, in the future, every time I get stressed, I want to eat a big plate of like, you know, red, like tomato sauce and whatever, you know, pasta. And again, I'm being cliche, but just trying to prove a point. Right. And so I do that whenever I get stressed because that's my comfort food. And so then down the road, I get ulcers because tomatoes are highly acidic. And so I'm having too much of that and I get ulcers. 
And I said, oh yeah, well, my dad got ulcers and my grandpa got ulcers. So I'm genetically predisposed to get ulcers. That's not true. You just adopted the same habits that your father and grandfather did. And those habits happen to create ulcers. There may not be a genetic basis for that at all. So we adopt our patterns. We adopt our parents' habits. We adopt our parents' neuroses. And those drive diseases much more than genetics do. Interesting. Um, because I studied a little bit of Dr. Weston A. Price. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. I'm not. Uh, I was an orthodontist, I think, out, out in Chicago uh, in the early 1900s. And he was wondering why Americans are having such bad teeth with you know modern dentistry and everything. So he traveled the world and he noticed that indigenous people that have stayed in their culture for generation upon generation eating the foods that they had, you know, they were more healthier bone structure. Well, I, I agree with you that eating too much pasta and simple carbs like that is terrible for anybody, no matter what, but do you believe that, you know, sticking to what your ancestry would eating not a couple hundred years ago, but I'm talking about way back in the day, you think, that will have a better effect on healing the body back to its normal state? I, I think there are a lot of factors in that. Um, Ayurveda actually has a very specific rule or axiom about that, which is that if you grow up with a certain type of cuisine, and let, let's say it's generally healthy, so not McDonald's, right? Like not trying to go that far. But let's say you grow up with a general, because remember these uh, things were discovered thousands of years ago, these rules about the human body, that if you stick with that cuisine, your body has become so adapted to it that it can handle it very well. So there's definitely a truth to that. There are some other truths to that. Indigenous people typically eat a lot less meat than a Western average American does, like a lot less. And um, anyone who watches the movie Game Changers, that was by James Cameron, um, he produced it knows that basically people who are on a vegetarian or vegan diet end up having stronger bone structures because of strontium is the, you know, there's a whole thing there. I'm not a chemist, so I don't really, you know, get into that too much, but they end up having stronger bone structures because eating too much meat has terrible, terrible, terrible effects on the body. Um, so there's that factor, right? That these indigenous people, and they're also eating food straight from the earth, nothing processed. It's fresh. And so there are all those factors too. And all those things combined, yeah, probably give them a better shot at preventative health. Meaning, yeah, maybe they don't have penicillin, but they're not getting those kinds of diseases. So they don't even need that as much. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Um, switching gears a little bit here now. A big part of what I do is deal with depression and, you know, depression with, you know, young men and everything. So how does Ayurveda help identify root causes when it comes to identifying depression and help lessen the suffering for these people? The root cause of disease of all disease in Ayurveda is separation from the soul. That's the root cause of all disease. So from there, it start, any pathology starts, and then you get into the nuances of that pathology. 
depression, that is a huge issue for because there is a very uh, prominent um, doctor these days, Dr. Gabor Mate, who does a lot of work with depression and trauma and stuff like that, tons. He's one of my uh, heroes because he speaks this wisdom very easily and he's been in the trenches like way more than most other people. So he's got it in him, you know? And he, he says depression is basically an adaptation in most cases. It's a part of the person, the self, calling out for something that they have not been receiving that they need. Um, and so it can't be medicated in the strict sense. You know, you can't just give them a pill and say off with you and you're going to be okay. And it's been proven that that really doesn't work. Um, and leads to other problems as well. And so the idea is that they, that, that anyone needs to get, try and get underneath why they become depressed. And there's a good reason why they become depressed. Often it involves traumas. Often it involves abuse. It involves violations of the vagus nerve, autonomic nervous system. It involves isolation, loneliness. Um, and you just see that story over and over and over again. And that can't be covered up. You got to give this young man or this person what they've been missing to get them started on the right track until they can generate it themselves. And that can take a lot of work when you're, you know, and not a lot of people are raising their hands and saying, yeah, I'll, I'll help this young person out and, you know, bless the people who are. Um, but that's, that's what our culture needs to do, especially you see depression rates spiking during COVID because of all the isolation. Isolation is pretty much the root of depression. Feeling of isolation, not you can have people around you and feel isolated because if there's no real connection between the people around you, then you're never going to get your heart satisfied ever. And especially young men are in America are indoctrinated into this terrible mythos that you have to cover up your feelings, that you have to cover up your emotions, that you have to be tough, that you can't show fear. All those things are extremely debilitating to young men. But they're, they're told that they have to do this. Otherwise, they're going to get their ass whooped, basically. And so as a survival tactic, they start covering up, covering up, covering up. And it just creates this emotional pit of despair. Um, and that has a very real effect on the physiology. Very real. Yeah, it does. Um, and that's actually what pushed me. It's the ice, the you know, consistently covering, covering, covering. But um, I want to touch up on something with uh, with the current situation that we are all living in, which is the whole this whole COVID, you know, lockdown, on unlock, lockdown again, unlock. Yeah. <laughs> um, now that we're in a state of unlocking, and that we can actually feel human again i actually had this question for a previous guest i'm seeing on the street that people are having a little bit of a hard time reintegrating themselves with other people absolutely we've, we've almost lost the social interaction with other humans how can you what's the best way that you think that we can get it back i think it was being lost before COVID. I think that, um, you know, Dr. Stephen Porges, who wrote the polyvagal theory, 
um, has a lot of some of my favorite lines about this, which is, you know, he, he believed that with the emergence of a lot of, or he commented or observed that with the emergence of a lot of technology, specifically technology in which you do not see the person's face and you do not hear the person's voice because our nervous systems need that to interface. So text messaging, Facebooking, whatever, Twitter, all that stuff, on and on and on, which is a very standard mode of communication now. That these systems of communication were being designed by people who were already damaged in their social interfacing capacities. That's why they were designing this mode of communication, because they were already had a fear or a threat around face-to-face -face interaction, intimate interaction, right? And I, when I say intimate, I don't mean sexual. I mean intimate, meaning, you know, we're close. We're having a conversation. It's real. We're talking about real things. We're not talking about just projections or personas. We're talking about things that actually matter to us. So there's a measure of vulnerability, right? Because without vulnerability, there's no connection, period. It's not going to happen. And sending people text messages is not, it inherently is not vulnerable. But we expect to connect via these things. And so we create this kind of like shadow connection world where the connections are very, very, very superficial, like almost to the point where they're almost detrimental to believe we're connecting when we're really not. And then COVID hit and what did people do? They run to their devices, like worse than ever. But that was already playing off of a damaged social communication phenomenon going on. And, and now we come back and it's like, oh, I want to see people again. I want to do things again, all that stuff. And it's like, oh, wait, I was kind of already weakening that system. I haven't been vulnerable in years. And now I, I get to this point of desperation and I want to go out and connect. And I realize it's like, oh, I never even really learned how to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, I think it's a much bigger problem than COVID. I think COVID is just highlighting it. Interesting. What do you think the solution is? I, I think the solution is to take serious stock of how we're communicating with others. I think our nervous systems will completely, I mean, we are so wired to socially engage that it takes a pretty severe issue with the nervous system to stop that process from happening unless we repeatedly avoid it. So I think the solution is to acknowledge what our fears are around social engagement and communication and learn to break those fears and to not engage in so much texting, all that stuff that requires zero engagement, really. Um, and to put a lot of emotional stock in those kinds of communications. We do, right? We mm -hmm. get a text message from someone and we project 20 million things onto it and it turns out that like, you know, comedians have done whole skits on that, right? Like whole shows on that. <laughs> just like you get a text message and it's like, what? And it turns out that the person meant the exact opposite. Um, I, I don't have a cell phone. Like I'm not trying to, you know, praise myself. I'm just saying there are reasons for this. I don't have a Facebook account. I don't do those things. I want real human connection. I don't want a substitute. And I think that, and I, I came to realize that after being addicted to cell phones, just like everyone else, and after spending too much time on Facebook, 
I was like, this is an addiction just like anything else. So this needs to get dropped. This needs to get worked through and I need real connection. And I think that's the solution is we need to stop substituting for real connection. Interesting. Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk about the autonomic nervous system. So I obviously understand what the autonomic nervous system because I've studied it before. But for those what uh, for those that haven't, I, I would like you to explain what the autonomic autonomic nervous system is and why it's so important. The autonomic nervous system is runs all throughout our entire body, and it is autonomic. So auto means it performs a lot of functions in our body behind the scenes. We don't ever know what's happening. Um, some big important ones are breath rate, heart rate, digestive abilities, and reproductive abilities, and our ability to defend ourselves. So the autonomic nervous system is split into two branches. One is called the parasympathetic, and that starts from the brainstem and the sacrum, and then goes throughout the body. And that's where the vagus nerve is. The vagus nerve is part of the parasympathetic. Then the autonomic nervous system's other branch is the sympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic originates in the spine behind the heart and connects with everything the parasympathetic nervous system does. So the two are like a big seesaw. The more parasympathetic activity we have, the less sympathetic activity we have and vice versa. So what happens is we're meant to, we're designed to by nature, spend most of our time in our parasympathetic nervous system. That's where we rest. That's where we can authentically relax, not just think we're relaxing, authentically relax, rejuvenate, heal tissue, reduce inflammation, digest food, sleep, reproduce, all those things, parasympathetic, healing, parasympathetic. If we switch into our sympathetic nervous system, which we need, so we don't, we don't wanna think it's bad, but it's not meant to be stayed in very long. We activate and get the ability to flight, fight, or freeze. And that's very important if we meet a threat. So if we meet a threat, we can engage one or more of those defense mechanisms. And what happens is that all our resources move away from our core channels and into our extremities and brain and sense organs, specifically sight and hearing, to monitor the environment for threats and to escape from a threat if we have to. That's the sympathetic nervous system's function. So what happens is if we're walking down the street and we perceive a threat, the vagus nerve says, whoa, 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 threat, and then launches us into our sympathetic nervous system. And then we engage a defense mechanism. And then ideally, when the threat goes away, we take a few deep breaths, our heart rate drops, our breath rate drops, we relax, and we were, the vagus nerve switches us back into the parasympathetic nervous system, and we move on with our day. Problem is, all it takes is perceived threat to trigger our sympathetic nervous system. By the way, that threat is also called stress. So, or I should say, the threat creates stress. Sympathetic activity is stress on our body. So we see something and we think it's threatening, but it's not actually threatening. We're still going to activate. And if that happens too much, 
and we stay too far out, outside our parasympathetic nervous system for too long, our body starts to break down because it can't rejuvenate. Inflammation levels go up, immune system activity gets drained, so on and so forth. And we find that we start getting worn out. Things start breaking down. We start getting sick. We start getting on and on and on. We can't digest food properly. So we get bowel issues. We get digestive issues. We get skin issues. We get sense organ issues. We get, you name it, diabetes, all that stuff. That's all very much associated with the autonomic nervous system function. So how do you use the ANS? I'm going to call autonomic it yeah, system, autom yeah. autonomic nervous system to, to find out what the core root of the problem is with an individual that comes to see you. So let's say an individual comes to see me and a lot of times, sometimes, you know, they'll have a specific agenda when they come see me. So let's say they have, um, uh, they're having um, six to seven bowel movements a day. Okay. That's way too many. And they're all very loose. So they say, oh yeah, okay. And I've done this and this and this and nothing works. So I'll say, I'll just ask, start asking them questions, start getting them to talk about their life. And inevitably you start to hear a story like I've been traumatized. I'm stressed I'm da, 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 on and on. Right. That's they're They're not able to engage your parasympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic nervous system is way too active and it's a common stress response to start releasing bowels regularly, especially in heavy trauma situations. Um, and so you start digging into that and you find that basically they're, they're, they don't feel safe in their life, hardly at all. Their relationships are very poor, very um, explosive or implosive, one of the two. And they've got a lot of habits that are compensation devices for the stress. So the eating habits are poor, a lot of emotional eating, drug use often, right? Now, don't think it has to be in the back corner somewhere behind a bar shooting heroin. Drug use can be alcohol. Drug use can be marijuana. Drug use can be sugar. Drug use can be coffee. Those are all drugs. So they engage in these types of behaviors. And there is buried, buried, buried deep fear. And that's why they never feel safe. So they can't really dwell in their parasympathetic nervous system very often. So their body can't rejuvenate. And so it's starting to communicate, hey, we've got a major problem here. And it's only, if that keeps going, they'll develop a, chronic, irreversible, life-threatening disease, if mm -hmm. time is allowed. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's so true. That's so yeah. true. And I, and I really like how you said, like, uh, even marijuana, because here in Canada, marijuana is legal. I don't want to get started on that one. Yeah, so it's, it's you know, we, we all have to look and and any, any substance you use to uh, like get yourself out of stress, it's fine. We all do it. That's not the problem. The problem is the repeated use of it, even when it's damaging the body. And, you know, people can say, oh, you know, it doesn't damage the body. Yes, it does. We know it does. And that's true for a lot of substances. Many, I mean, you could literally have someone addicted to exercise not even imbibing a substance, right? Or yep. taking a substance. But whenever they get stressed, they have this urge, this craving to go exercise. And if they don't, they can't handle it. They can't handle themselves. 
there is a deeper layer of fear and anxiety going on that's not being addressed, that's being held down. That's what needs to get addressed to heal. No, and you're right. Uh, exercise, too much exercise is an addiction. Like I do know people that if they don't work out, they're going to have a really bad day, really yeah, bad that, day. And, and not only that, it can cause, um, you know, injury, things like that. It's not good. Yeah. But what's real, what's really dealing the damage is all the suppressed adaptations and emotions that are not being worked through because of fear. Yeah, that's so true. So true. Yeah. Uh, we are going to be wrapping up the show in just a little bit. Um, these are the seven questions that I ask all my guests just to get your insight on them, on these topics. Uh, with the increase in people suffering from depression from the lockdowns and all this uncertainty that's ahead of us, what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? I would say that that the the best thing to keep the hopes up is to start communicating with whoever you can that you have some semblance of trust with um, whenever you can, because it's that communication that's going to keep your body alive and, and, and it's going to create bonds that keep your autonomic nervous system. Remember a lot of that's happening in the background. You don't have direct control over it. It keeps the autonomic nervous system more stable so that you can adapt to the situations that are coming. Um, because, um, you know, you don't want to, I don't want to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. We all know it. You can't that there are very challenging times coming. Yep. Yeah. So true. Uh, what's the one thing that you would do daily to amplify your ability to stay focused? That I rely on sadhana for what we talked about at the beginning. Um, I keep a daily practice in the morning before food, after I wake up, before I check my email, before anything, right. That gets my mind in place and aligned. And so I remember, I remember the feeling of as much of me as I can remember and the deep me, the true me, the authentic me that's beyond all the projections and fears and all that stuff and connect with that. So I feel that bond, that security every day. And that helps keep me focused. Cool. If you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? I would say, keep doing exactly what you're doing because you're about to discover Ayurveda. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, looking back, would you change anything? Um, no, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't change anything because that's not how life goes. I think that um, we have to take risks all throughout our life. And we are constantly stepping into the unknown. And I forgive myself in advance and in the past for making any mistakes while stepping into the unknown because, hey, man, you're going into the unknown. What are you going to do? You just give it your best shot. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, what scares you? Um, you know, right now, a lot of this environmental stuff scaring me. Um, the thought that the future can be very, very, very severely um, impacted. And like for myself and, and especially the, the younger people than me, the youth, you know, and just the, the blindness to the 116 degrees in Western Canada and everyone just going on like tomorrow is going to be another normal day. That scares me. Um, I think that reaches deep into the psychology of humans and 
that part of people that's willing to deny in order to persist just normalcy is frightening to me. Same here. Yeah. Uh, where do you see International Institute of Ayurveda in the next five years? Um, we're launching us. Our school starts January 2022. We train Ayurvedic professionals and we're actually launching a um, Ayurvedic coaching program that lets you become a life coach with an Ayurvedic um, background so that you get kind of the the meat and potatoes of Ayurveda, um, although I'm a vegetarian, so I really shouldn't use that metaphor, uh, the potatoes and sweet potatoes of Ayurveda and, um, and gives you coaching tactics. So that's actually got a lot to do with the autonomic nervous system and, um, you know, how to inquire and how to navigate those kinds of situations to help someone. So those two programs are launching and that's the direction of International Institute of Ayurveda has become very, uh, a place where we can get to like the deep, healing conversations um, and really help people learn to apply them for themselves and other people if they want to be professional about it. Cool. How about you personally? Well, that will be my life for the next <laughs> five years. No, I'm actually, um, I'm going to be making a big move to Italy soon. Oh, nice. Uh, so that's an adventure and I'll be spending the next five years learning, learning. That's probably why I talked about Italian food, right? In the podcast. Um, learning a new language, exploring a new culture, living a new lifestyle and growing the school. You'll have a friend in Greece. Me. All right, <laughs> let's go. We'll be very close to each other because everything's close in Europe, right? Yeah, it is. One small boat right away. Yep. <laughs> uh, where can people find more about you? Easiest way is www.iiayurveda.com. And reception at iiayurveda.com is the email. Um, I'm easy to get in touch with. Cool. Uh, we will post your links with this with the show notes below so everybody has access to your content and easy access to you as well. Great. Any final thoughts? I think we pretty much covered it. I mean, we could go on forever, right? But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Okay. Uh, Victor, thank you so much for coming on, on the show. Um, I've always been curious about Ayurveda when I was first introduced to it back in 2009, but I never really, I guess being Greek Orthodox, never really just, it was just one of those things that was going on, like traditional Chinese medicine until I actually stepped into it a little bit. So it's always great to learn new modalities, especially when it, when it's something is like 5,000 years old and you know, last the test of time. So I do appreciate you for deep diving into it. And I know you're, I know you've already helped like hundreds of people. So I do appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. No, thank you for hosting me. It's my pleasure. And we should thank Ayurveda and all the people who a lot of people sacrifice their lives to get it to us. So I'm sure Thanks they have. Them. And for yeah. them to keep it, because we don't know how much other ancient, ancient, knowledge that we've lost over thousands of years of people just being people yep exactly <laughs> <laughs> going through hard times is just a test what you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through you will be stronger than ever before and you don't need to go through it alone always know that you are not alone
Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or a good night wherever you may be in this crazy world.